The story is told of a person that's going to be starting an arborist business, taking down some trees, and thought, well, I'm going to need a good chainsaw for this. Goes in the store, looks at some chainsaws. The manager of the store says, this chainsaw is going to be awesome. This thing's going to take down at least like 100 trees a day, no problem. So the guy takes a chainsaw with him. Next day out on the job, he's got a, a, a new job and got a lot of trees to take down. And he thinks, okay, this going to be great. Gets out there working that day, only able to bring down 33 trees. He's like, man, that's a long ways from 100 trees. What is going on? I don't know what's happening. Goes out the next day to finish the job thinking, okay, this maybe I'll, I'll get the hang of it. Only takes down 25 trees. He's like, what is going on? Goes out the next day thinking he's going to improve on this. Still only 25 trees. He's thinking, what is, there must be something wrong with this chainsaw. He goes back to the store where he bought it from. Talks to the manager. Says, you told me 100 trees a day. Man, I'm not, I'm not taking anywhere near that amount down. I don't know what's going on with this chainsaw. I think it might be faulty whatever. The manager takes the chainsaw. Well, let me look at this thing. I don't know what's going on. Pulls the cord, starts it up, and the man jumps back. He says, what is that noise? <laughs> See, <clears throat> a lot of Christians can tend to operate that way where they fail to realize the supply of power that's available to them. They're sweating it out, grinding it out, trying to do the work or live this Christ-like life in themselves, but they're neglecting the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in our study through Corinthians, and especially as we've been camped out in chapter 12 here for a bit, has been really emphasizing the work of the Holy Spirit and, and the way that the Holy Spirit gifts the church in, in order to be able to serve and bless and edify one another. That does not come from ourselves. That comes from a supply of the Holy Spirit leading, empowering, and, and uh, equipping us to do that. But so often we kind of neglect the Holy Spirit. We put the Holy Spirit aside and fail to realize what we have available for us. So it's this topic of gifts of the Spirit that we've been dealing with in this particular section with our study through 1 Corinthians. And Paul's main emphasis is to reveal how the Spirit unifies us and how the gifts are meant to build each other up to the edification and unity of the body of Christ. So as we wrap up chapter 12 today, we're really taking a deep dive now into the, the function of the church and what the outcome should be from the right operation of these gifts. Here's what we're going to look at as we break down uh, the rest of this chapter. We're going to look at one body and direction, not one direction for you fans, one body and direction, one body and diversity, one body and discrimination, one body and development, and then one body and discretion. That's how we're going to break this down. So first of all, looking at one body and, and that direction, really detailing the source of gifts. We read in verse 12, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Now, you you might need to read that like a hundred times like I did because he's just going and and using all these these words and just talking about one body, many members, all the members of that one body being many are one body. It's like, what are you trying to say, Paul? Well, Paul, what he's doing is moving into this great illustration an analogy of how these various gifts and workings of the Spirit are to work together to the profit of all. So what he does is he likens the church to a body. You look around and you see a lot of bodies here, right? You look around, you go, isn't it amazing to think of all the differing functions and operations happening within those bodies? There's so many different moving parts and yet everything is happening in sync and working together for the common good. So Paul, through the illustration now of our own physical bodies, reveals how 
there is indeed many parts, but it's one body. They act in unity as one body. And in like manner, just as there's many bodies represented here, and there's many parts of that one individual body, there are many members that make up the church. And so that's why Paul says, so also is Christ. He's likening what we have in and through Christ to our own physical bodies. When we become a believer, we become linked to Christ, the, the body of Christ. He is the head of the church, right? And the church is not a, a building. The church is you and I as we gather together. He is the head, but the scriptures often refer to the church as that body of Christ, that extension of Christ. So within the body of Christ, there should be a wonderful expression of unity. Unity among diversity. There are, are many different types here, right? You look around, we got all different sorts of people. And just as that represents this diversity within the body of Christ, there are many different types and members all working together in diversity to bring about unity. Where does that unity flow from? We'll look at what we read next in verse 13. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but it's many. You see, Paul says there's a unity that naturally comes because of the one spirit. And it's that one spirit by which we're all baptized into that one body. Now, this verse has kind of caused some to go down a, a wrong path to look at, oh, see, baptism, this must be talking about water baptism, and water baptism is then needed and essential for salvation. And then some even go even further down and say, well, thus we must you know, uh, do infant baptism because it's, it's through baptism that brings them into the body or the church and it, and it brings about that salvation. And so some have misinterpreted, misunderstood and leads them down wrong paths. Paul's not talking about water baptism here. It's, it's baptism of the spirit. And we know that the word says that conversion when we give our life to Christ, the moment that we're saved, the Spirit is in us. Look at what Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14 says, In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. That verse right there should excite you. Thank you. It excites Ralph, and I'm glad for that. It should excite us all here to realize the importance that the moment we give our life to Christ, it doesn't say that you now uh, are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's not like he's some outside force doing a work externally on you. It says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The moment you give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is now indwelling in you, sealing you, marking you as his, which is like a down deposit. When you want a house, you put a down deposit on saying, I'm, this is mine. I'm laying claim to it and I'm coming back with the rest. It's like the Lord says, the Holy Spirit is in you. That's that down deposit. And I'm coming back to claim what is rightfully mine now. You're his. And so it's through the Spirit filling you, which is what Paul likens to baptism, that you are now identified with Christ and in Christ. It's the same term that Paul referenced in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 when, when he says there, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And you go, wait a second, how, how is Moses the guy baptizing? What are you, what are you baptizing? 
Paul's not saying, you know, you're baptized into Moses like he's a saving faith, you know. What Paul is saying there in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 2 is that the people of Israel were linked to Moses. They were identifying with Moses and the way that God was working in and through Moses as that leader. They're identifying with Moses. They are baptized in a sense as they went to the Red Sea with Moses leading them through. Well, in the same way now for the body of Christ, we become linked to and our identity now is in Christ because of that baptism of the Holy Spirit. That happens at conversion where the Spirit is now indwelling, filling us, sealing us now. So what we understand then when it comes to the body of Christ is that we have the same source now. There's, though there's diversity, there's great unity because the same source now of all that we do comes from the Spirit. There's the, the same Spirit that's in me is the same Spirit that's in you. There's the same common DNA flowing in and through us together. And so there's just a great blessing to recognize the unity here and the direction that it comes from, which is in the spirit. Now, the beauty of this is the body Christ does not make membership a very difficult thing. Aren't you glad for that? You, you look around the room and you, you recognize right away that we put a very low kind of requirement on membership. No, I'm just, we, but notice what Paul says there in verse 13, that whether you're a Jew or a Greek or a slave or a free, guess what? You're in, in and through the spirit. That's not dwelling, there, there's no requirements. There's no jumping through hoops. There's no, the Lord is very inclusive and the Lord brings all people, regardless of your background, regardless of what you've done, regardless of your experiences, you are invited in to be a part of the body of Christ. But there's one requirement, and that's faith in Christ. That's putting your, repenting of sin and putting your trust in Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. There's one requirement, but it's a small requirement, and that, and that is open to all to receive that, regardless. So we're thankful for that. We all have access through faith in Christ. So this body that's at work here, is a blessed thing when the members realize their, their uniqueness within the body. So we see the direction that the source of this is the spirit. Secondly, we look at, at one body and, and diversity. So again, we want to emphasize here, there's the same source, but we're unified, not because we're all, you know, the same, we're unified through the Spirit, but within that unity, there's great diversity. Look at what Paul says here in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So again, from this analogy of the body, our, our physical bodies, Paul raises some interesting points now. Within the church, you see, some can begin to get a little maybe jealous over various gifts that are in operation within the, the church body, the different callings that people might have and the different functions that different members of the, of the body of Christ has. And some may begin to think, well, listen, if I can't do that particular function or have that particular gift, then I'm not gonna be a part of the body. I'm just gonna, no way, I don't want anything to do with it. That's why Paul says, if the foot should say, listen, if I'm not gonna be the hand, I'm out. Forget it. I don't want anything to do with this, right? This is silly. Now, the foot were upset that it's not the hand and decides, I'm going to go on strike. I'm not going to have anything to do with the body anymore. Well, he can't 
separate from the body. Does he cease to be the body? No, he's still part of the body. If the foot says, I'm gonna separate, what's gonna happen? It's gonna die. It's not gonna be good, right? It still continues to be a part of the body, but what happens if the foot goes, if I'm not gonna do this, I'm not gonna do anything, I'm gonna go on strike. Well, what's gonna happen? The rest of the body is gonna be affected. The rest of the body is not gonna be able to move without the foot, the foot's needed. Though it might be going, I wanna do this instead. The foot needs to realize you've got a vital role right where you are. It's gonna hurt the rest of the body by not fulfilling that role. Paul goes on to say, verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, then what about the smelling? Where would that be? Paul brings up this example because again, people in the church at Corinth, they were all striving for these gifts that made them look good, that really expressed how awesome and how spiritual they were. So they were using gifts to promote self, whereas the gifts are meant to promote Jesus and edify the church together as a whole. They're not to be selfishly used, and a lot of people were doing that. And so they're all looking for the gifts that would make them stand out. It's like Paul says, what would be the, the deal if everybody wanted to be the eye? Everybody's going, the eye is so awesome. Let's all be the eye. The eye sees all. The eye is like the window to the soul. It's seen and it can see. I mean, look at the advantage of the eye. The eye is so awesome. Let's all be the eye. Well, if everybody decides to be the eye, well, first of all, that's going to be a very grotesque looking body, right? Just a big, you know, eye walking up on you and a big, like, Mike from Monsters, Inc., right? You're going to be like, ah, stay away from me. You're freaking me out, right? But if everybody's the eye, what's going to happen? Well, there's going to be great lack in other areas. It, the body's going to become weak and deficient. We need other parts like the hearing and the smelling. These are important. There was a man that went to his doctor with a, a big concern about his wife who he thought uh, she was really losing her hearing badly and he's really concerned about it. He goes, talks to his doctor and doctor says, well, listen, let's gauge kind of what we're dealing with and kind of the, how bad this situation is. When you go back home, I want you to stand like 15 feet behind her and I want you to say something, see if she responds. If she doesn't respond, move five feet closer and then say it again. She doesn't respond, move five feet closer and just see kind of, you know, where she's at with this hearing loss and we can kind of know how to, how to treat this. So the man goes home, sees his wife in the kitchen making dinner and so he stands 15 feet behind her and says, honey, what are you making for dinner? There's no response. It's like, oh man. He goes five feet closer, so now it's 10 feet. He says it again, honey, what's for dinner? No response. It's like, oh, this is bad. He says it again, five feet closer and eventually he's right behind her and he says, honey, what's for dinner? She turns around and says, for the fourth time, I'm making chicken soup. Hearing is important. And we can think other people are not doing their part, but maybe, maybe it's us that needs to pick it up. But, but we read in verse 18, notice this, but now God, look at that verse 18, you're all with me? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, well, where would the body be? What kind of body would that be if everybody's doing the same thing? If they were all one member, meaning we have, and, and going back to verse 12, remember Paul's emphasizing many members, but one body. But if those many members become just one member doing the same thing, where would the body be? But notice what, what we're reading here. It's God that does the work, placing each person into the body just as he pleases. 
You see, gifts are not given. You are not called in different areas and functions to accomplish your will. It's to accomplish His will. It's to please the Lord. We don't pick or choose our gifts. We don't design and, and recognize. I mean, there are many ways that we can serve in the body of Christ very naturally and, and in a very kind of just uh, giving, serving way. There's many things that, that can be done, but there are specific ways that God equips us and, and gifts us to fulfill specific roles in the body. It's not to us to decide that. We don't manufacture these things. We don't uh, train and try to decide what we're going to do. They're given to you. They're gifts of God. And he's the one that calls and places each member into the body just as he pleases for his glory and for his will and for the, the health of the body. So that everybody does their part to the profit of all. So again, if everybody was just looking to do one singular thing, thinking, man, that's the best gift. That's the most awesome gift. Let's all do that. Where would the body be? It's not going to be in a good state. It's not going to be functioning in, in health at all. So we've seen that one body in diversity. Next, we look at one body in discrimination here in verse 20. And there were those in the church that were kind of beginning to, to almost like disparage other gifts, right? And kind of even put down other things because they were looking at others as, oh, you're not as spiritual as me. Look at the gift that I'm doing. Look at what we read here in verse 20. But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. See, just as a person should not be shamed for not being one way, so a person should not begin to get prideful in the gifting that they are operating in. The eye cannot get all puffed up and go, man, I'm all that. Without me, guys, you would all be in the dark, right? And the eye cannot go, I have no need of you. I'm going to go about it on my own. And the eye just kind of pops out of the head, starts to roll along the ground. Well, that eye is going to quickly realize, man, this is no existent, existence. I'm getting dirt in my eye. This is no fun rolling on the ground. I can't communicate with people. I mean, I can blink Morse code, but that's kind of people are like, what's, are you having a seizure? What's going on, right? Like the eye's going, I realize quickly, I'm not going to make it on my own. I need the rest of the body and the things that, that they do and contribute for the betterment of the body. Each person is needed. Understand that. We don't live to ourselves. We can't isolate ourselves. We need one another. You're needed and you need others as well. Verse 23, in those members of the body which we think to be less honorable... On these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. See, within the body, there's no insignificant part or member or role or gifting. There's nothing that's insignificant. God is the one that places each one for his purposes. Even the seemingly weaker or less honorable parts are needed. Now, some members of the body are not on the, the front lines, right? They don't get a lot of recognition or attention. Perhaps they're more the behind the scenes type people. And, and sometimes people in the body may not even know what they do. But they're super vital and need. I'm so thankful for those 
people at Riverside that serve in ways that I think a lot of us may not even realize they're doing what they do. And yet we would quickly realize when they're not doing it. <laughs> and they're adding to the health of the church. They, don't, they, they may have, have not be as honorable in the sense that they're not front and center, but they're vital, they're needed. There's no reason to think less of them. In fact, oftentimes it's those members that, that should receive greater honor, right? I think in my heart and my lungs, right? Different parts of, of my body, these guys aren't seen. They're not getting a lot of attention or exposure. They're not making an appearance outside of the body. I hope that never happens. That would not be a good thing, right? But without them, the hands, the feet, the mouth, wouldn't be able to do too much. They quickly realize, oh, those parts maybe are less honorable in the sense that they're not seen, they're not outwardly doing a lot of things that other parts of the body does, but oh, they're so needed and they should have greater honor to that degree. They provide great value and blessing to the body. And we see the attention given to, to parts that, as Paul says, are, are unpresentable. It's very possible that Paul was referring to sexual organs here. And what do we do? We, we cover those up. We understand that they have greater modesty. And so we, we, cover, we give special care to them, right? We recognize that they, they need that. In the same way, there are members in the body of Christ that may seem like we want to hide or, or dismiss, but they're needed, they're important. And we want to provide care and covering for them and give them honor because we want to see them flourish as they should in the body. Read on here, verse 24. It continues this thought, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. See, there are parts in the body of Christ here that are very comfortable with where they're at, what they do. And there are some that are stronger or maybe even more mature than others. They don't need a lot of extra care. Or, or even support in a sense. They know their role, they function that, they have a great time in that. But there are those that may be lacking in the body where those who are more mature get to come alongside and strengthen and lift up and help along the way. In that way, it's as though these weaker or um, you know, uh, members of lesser honor are given greater honor because of the care that goes into them. And not only does it show greater care for them, but the rest of the church gets to function in a way that they're called to do in supporting one another. So the church gets strengthened in serving, ministering to others, but these ones that maybe are weaker, less mature, who are still kind of finding their way, there may be greater honor or attention given to them, but it's to help them and, and strengthen them along the way. And it becomes like a win-win a, a for everybody. Paul goes on to add how there's one body and development, how we need to depend on one another's gifts and develop these together. Look at what it, it, we read in verse 25. And that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Members should have the same care for one another. We're all needed. There was a certain sea captain and his chief engineer of the ship that were arguing as to which of them had the more important role on the ship. Well, failing to agree, they resorted to the unique plan of swapping places on the ship. So the chief 
ascended to the bridge, began to, you know, steer and, and drive the ship, and the captain went into the engine room. Well, after only a couple of hours, the, the captain emerges up on the deck. He's covered in oil and soot, waving a monkey wrench above his head, saying, I can't get the ship to go. I just can't get the ship to go. And the, and the chief engineer who's in the, the bridge driving the ship says, of course he can. I've run her aground. <laughs> they quickly realized we're, we're better off where we were, doing what we know we're called to do rather than thinking, oh, I can do this better or my job's more important. We need one another. And we develop these gifts in a way that aid and help and support one another. There's no need for schisms in the body when we recognize that we all play an important role to the health and the well-being of the body, the church. No member or role is of greater importance in the body. And, and so, with that, there should be just a mutual care of one another because we're all interconnected in Christ and through the Spirit. So we don't, we don't elevate roles as, oh, this is better, this is more important. We recognize every role is important and we need one another. We're interconnected together to the point where if that person doesn't do what they do, we're all gonna feel it. If, if one member is suffering, Paul says, then we all suffer. And, and no more is that true than in our own bodies. You've all experienced this, making that midnight run for a snack to the kitchen in a dark house, and suddenly you catch that pinky toe on something, and you stub that thing hard. Like you are afraid to look down because you feel like that thing is completely severed. It might be five feet behind you for all you know. Like you know like that there's some damage done, but is it just your pinky toe? That you feel it? No, that pain is shooting out your head. It's being experienced everywhere, right? One little member gets hurt and the rest experiences it. That's the way the body is to operate. That's the way we in the church are to operate. Where it's not just coming along somebody in, in sympathy or empathy, it's that we're so interconnected together that when one person is suffering or one area is lacking, we're all feeling it. We're all experiencing that. In the same way, when a member is honored, Paul says, you, you rejoice in that too. Because no person is isolated in and to themselves. There's no individualism here. It's very easy sometimes to suffer with others, but to rejoice when people are rejoicing. That can be a hard thing. We liken it to like, you know, somebody comes and say, man, I just got a promotion at work. Got a great race. They gave me a new car. And we're all like, oh, that's... So wonderful, I've just been praying for promotion for 10 years at my job, but I'm so happy for you. These are <laughs> tears of joy. They're tears of joy, really. You're just like, man, you just kind of like, God, why can't that be me, right? It's hard to rejoice sometimes, but understand again Paul's picture of the body. When one area is lacking, we all experience it. When one area is getting built up, we all experience that too because it's to our health as well. When it comes to the body, when one area is doing well, we all experience that and we rejoice together. We don't go, well, how come I'm not doing that? How come that's not me that gets to? No, you get to rejoice because you're all interconnected in the body together. So when one area is rejoicing, it benefits us all. We all rejoice and that's how the body is to be working. Paul says in verse 27, now you're the body of Christ and members individually. It's not about being individualistic but we simply recognize we each have something to offer and it may be very different from one another, but in our individual roles, 
we're contributing to the body at large. You are the body of Christ. You have different roles. We don't all do the same thing. But when you fulfill those roles, you contribute to the benefit, the building up, and the profit of all as the body of Christ. Lastly, we see uh, one body and discretion. Look at what we read in verse 28. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Again, Paul's just given a, a partial list of gifts here. And, and many of those were mentioned already in verses eight to 10, He's added a couple here now with, with helps and administrations, um, the, the role of apostles. Now, it would seem that Paul's kind of giving a, a listing here in descending order of this sequence in which these were carried out in the history of the church and, and in the early church. Jesus appointed apostles, ones that were commissioned, sent out with the message of Jesus Christ. And then prophets were there to proclaim the word of God. Now, here's the thing is that you'll see in some church circles today, people saying, hey, you know, apostle so-and-so is coming in town. Prophet so-and-so is coming in town. We're going to have a great, you know, service and, and they're going to do all the, and, and we, we uphold people in these offices or with the title of apostle and prophet. I do not believe that exists today. And what happens oftentimes is there's a real abuse because these people that are, are you know, I would have to say self-proclaimed. I don't know where they go to school of, of apostles, but self-proclaimed apostles and prophets is what they're saying is that I have authority. I have absolute authority. You don't question what I say. And what I say is kind of at par with God's word. Can I say that's not biblical? That's not the, the role that they were to have and certainly not today. I don't believe in the office of apostle and prophet today, though I believe that the ministry and the functioning still carries on as an apostle is one that was commissioned and sent out. I think that gets fulfilled through missionaries today who are called, sent out, and, and, they're, and they're gifted to go into a region and area to proclaim the gospel. Prophets. No, there's no prophets today in the way that we had them in the new testament but there are people that operate very prophetically it's very different than than the office of prophet or or having this uh level of authority they operate in the gift of of prophecy and and proclaim god's truth in, in god's word Amen. plain and simple so we see these things happening but notice what Paul would say in Ephesians 2.20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That was very instrumental in that day in the beginning of the church. But it gets carried out in a very, in a very different way today. And then so he mentions these other gifts and gifts of, uh, of teachers, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Notice, again, Paul's putting tongues kind of at the bottom. And again, some believe that Paul's giving a listing here of kind of uh, in, in degrees of importance. And every time in chapter 12, Paul puts a list, he calls tongues, he puts it at the bottom. Because what was happening in the church of Corinth, it would seem, as we're gonna see when we get into chapter 14, as he has to give real kind of clarity on the gift of tongues, is that everybody was looking to do tongues. 
Everybody's looking to say, I want to speak in tongues. That's a gift that really is going to profit me. It's going to make me look really spiritual. It's going to cause me to stand out. I can speak in tongues and guess what? Nobody will even know if I'm right or wrong because I'm speaking in tongues. They don't know what I'm saying. It's going to be great. It's awesome. I speak and everybody's going to go, wow, that's so spiritual. Look at that guy moving in the spirit. I have no idea what they're saying, but man, it sure sounds spiritual, right? So everybody's going, I want gifts of tongues. That's what I want. But again, the issue in the church there at Corinth and the reason Paul is talking about how we don't all have to do the same thing, we all need to come together in unity is because people were doing this for themselves and not for the betterment of the body. And it was bringing in real dysfunction to the body. And so Paul's calling them out on this. And notice what he says here in verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers in miracles? Do all have gifts of healings? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And the answer is? No. no. Thank you. That's right. The way that this is even written in the, in the Greek, it necessitates, it expects a negative response and no answer. That's the way Paul is laying this. He doesn't give us the answer, but it's, it's an obvious answer. Not everybody operates in these ways. And, and the church of Corinth, again, they were all clamoring for, desiring to do these specific gifts for themselves. Paul says, it doesn't work that way. God gives gifts to each person and every gift is important. Every person has a part to play in the body of Christ. Every part, every member is important and it's vital that they carry out that working of the spirit in their life and not try to grab a hold of something that's gonna impress others or make them look good. We're called to come together to make Jesus glorified, exalted, and to build up the church together. That's the role. It's not about you. It's about the Lord here. Amen. But then notice what Paul says in verse 31. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I'll show you a more excellent way. Now you read that and you go, wait, hold on, Paul. Haven't you just been building a whole case where we're not to be desiring specific gifts? That we're not to be fighting for doing this role because of what this is gonna do for us? Now you're saying desire the best gifts? That seems to be so contrary to what you've just been saying. Help us out here, Paul. Well, this could be understood in a couple of different ways. This can be rendered that Paul was simply stating a fact. In other words, as though he's saying, you are desiring the best gifts. He's saying, this is what you guys have been doing. You've all been desiring the best gifts for your own self-promotion. You've been doing it wrongly, in other words. It's being spoken not as an imperative, as a command, but as a, an indicative statement, a statement of fact. You're desiring the best gifts, and you're doing so wrongly. Or this could be rendered and spoken to the church as a whole, and how they should desire the best gifts and most helpful gifts to be exercised in the body of Christ for the common good. The, the, the verb of this is in the plural form. So it's as though perhaps he's, he's addressing the church as a whole saying, guys, desire the best gifts. Desire the gifts that are, are going to be building you up for the collective good of one another. Not just about you, but about one another. I think it's good that we desire 
to see gifts being operated in, in the church and not worrying about, oh, you're doing that gift? Well, I thought that was my gift. What are you doing? It's like, have at it. Are you blessing the body of Christ? That's what I want to see happen too. Right on. Go for it. We should be desiring to see gifts in operation so that the church is built up and so that we reflect Jesus and live to the glory of God all the more. That should be our desire. And yet, Paul goes on to say, but just wait. I'm going to show you an even more excellent way than just operating gifts. Chapter 13 begins to fill that in. We're going to get into next week a glorious chapter, one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, when we talk about and emphasize love over all. It's going to be a good time. Hope to see you next Sunday. All right, let's pray. Worship team, come on up. Lord, we thank you for your word here. Thank you, God, for giving us your Holy Spirit to equip us, empower us, and to live these lives to your glory. Lord, help us to realize we are not an island unto ourselves. Lord, knit us together as the body of Christ, seeing the different roles, functions that we all have, not disparaging of one another, but giving room for each person to serve in the way that you've equipped them for the betterment of the body and let us not worry about what others are doing. Let us simply carry out what you've called us to do so we can see a healthy, strong body of Christ here at Riverside that glorifies you to where people are functioning in health, in care, in carrying out the work that you've called us to, to glorify and magnify you, Jesus, above all.